so grateful for you to be here with us as we continue on in our series on destined for deliverance. This is certainly um, a great time, and we're really dealing with dealing with um, making a regional impact with deliverance. That God has something for you, but it's more than for you. That um, when He saw you, He had more than you in mind. Scripture in Psalm says it this way: A seed shall serve Him, and it shall be accounted to God for a generation. In other words, God's um, inside the seed, God sees the forest. So he's he looks at you and then he factors in the cultivation of your life and the impact that it'll have on the generation around you. And so what we have to recognize and realize is that God is counting on each and every one of us to make the kingdom impact that he has for this generation. Somebody say amen. Amen, amen. All right. So destined for deliverance, um, just give you, uh, we're working on the aspect of discipleship and dominion and deliverance. But I just talked to you about some review points here. First of all, from last week, of course, last week I spent some time and at that time I put my, uh, put my own spin on the pieces that um, that Minister John Davis gave in my absence. And uh, we talked about David and how David had a sense that um, the deliverance that he had to deal with impacted not only him, but it impacted, um, he said, Israel would know, all Israel would know, and then all the world would know, right? And so there's an aspect of God wants to do something to you that gets attention. He wants something in your life. He wants to make an impact that gets attention of other people. All right. So that's part of it. Uh, why everybody in my business? Because God wants you to have something that, that gets attention. He said, no man lights a candle and puts it and covers it. He said it puts it um on a lampstand so that it can illuminate the whole house. And so you have to recognize that part of the, you know, Satan tries to set you up to embarrass you. All right. But God is setting you up to illuminate you so that the turnaround that he does in your life will be a testimony and a testament to other people. All right. And so um, we talked about the fact that that you are a light source um, and that according to first john 1 7 you're supposed to walk in the light as he is in the light which means you shouldn't be singing this little light of mine because he doesn't have little light right and i showed you last week that i had a little light source that i use when i'm in the garage in the dark but i don't try to use that to light up my whole house it ain't big enough okay and so um even little light is light, but God doesn't want you to stop at a little light. He's trying to get you to walk in light as he is in the light. Amen. And then we talked about the fact that as we looked at um, the scriptures that describe Jesus regional deliverance and impact, it said um, those that sat in the shadow and region of death. 
death had set so long in there that um, it's cast a shadow over that whole region. And that light had dawned or sprung up that began the process of pushing out the darkness and the death. All right. And so what we want to have sense of is that there are things that in the region that we live, we're responsible to stand up against and push back on. We want to have a sense of those things. And then we want to have a sense of that God is raising us up as a light and begin to do things that are different. You know, I've been um, I've been very intentional um, in my in my time here as late to really be um, an encourager to, to my peers in ministry. I've been really intentional um, to rave over what God is doing in their lives because I understand that one of the things that the enemy does in our region is to get everybody just pulling to themselves. And so on purpose, I reach out and say, man, God, I mean, <laughs> I've had pastors break down on the phone just talking to me. Now, I have enough issues going on in my own life that I could just get lost in my own soup. You understand what I mean when I say that? You understand what I mean when I say that, right? I got enough going on that if I let myself, I could just stay in my, I could stew in my own juices. Okay, but I've just decided that it's not all about me. You understand what I mean? And so, and I'm doing that on purpose as an act of spiritual warfare to push out the darkness that tries to separate people. And I found that that lifting you up doesn't pull me down. <laughs> I, I I decided my friends ain't going to have to hide their blessings from me. I don't know about you. That God, that God, that, that I'm not going to have some haterade in, in, the, in the fridge. I'm not going to have some haterade in the fridge. That God deciding to bless them, I'm going to rejoice with them. It doesn't matter if my situation haven't changed yet, because what God has got for me, he got for me. So I can encourage you. I can stand with you. I can celebrate what God is doing for you while I'm still believing what I believe he wants to do for me. Because I'm I'm pushing back on something, y'all. That's a big deal. I mean, you would think it would be easy in the age of Facebook for people just to push the like button and keep it moving just to say I'm sad. I'm happy for you. You know, but people scan and just move on. I don't want to say, um, I'm just saying, man, I'm just, but what things are you grasping that your region deals with and how are you determining to be a light? I just, I'm going to be an encourager. I've just decided that. I mean, (laughs) I remember. When, when my when my best friend, man, I was I was in 
in a bedroom upstairs in my parents' home. And my best friend was buying a home that's worth $2.5 million. And I was standing there agreeing with him. Because I decided. Because whatever God want to do for me, he can do for me. Do you understand what I'm saying? All right. I don't helping him, encouraging him doesn't take anything from me. That's why you preaching so hard, because that's the kind of spirit we have in this region. People hate what you got because they don't got it. And I'm saying you don't have to do that. Like when God gives to her, it doesn't bankrupt him from giving to me. But that's a mindset. You got to cultivate a mind. Listen, that don't happen on automatic. You got to on purpose do that. Man, I remember as a good friend of mine, I, I, we, we was out at the restaurant. I ran into him and and um, I remember this young man, um, good, good man. Uh, I mean, older than me, but was believing for his shot for his senior leadership. And um, he was always the um, person that was there, but that was stepped over and stepped over and stepped over and stepped around and stepped over and stepped around. And then I talked to another friend. Pastor mine, and you say, you know what happened to him? He's like, okay, you know, he's now leading um, a, a pretty significant Caucasian church. And I was like, he's, he's doing what? And um, it was amazing. So I just called him to say, dude, listen, man, I remember all of the times that we would just check in. It would be years you know, nothing, no, nothing, nothing wrong. Just I would see him at an event and then a few years next and then another few years. And we just would run into each other on occasion. And I said, man, God has done something amazing for you. I mean, these people, these brothers are breaking down, crying like, man, ain't nobody just celebrating. Me. I want to celebrate you. What they got to do with what God is doing with me. What I got to do with anything. See, people think. See, I'm, I don't know if I'm going to get to my notes, but I'm going to just go where I'm going. OK, y'all just roll with me today. We'll just roll with me today. People think that um, that heaven is like, you know, remember an Oprah Winfrey and they said, you get a car, you get a car, you get a car. Everybody gets a car. It's not like that. The scripture says that when one member suffers, all suffer. That's why when we had our young man here who's whose mother, who was a, a significant um, part of this ministry and of the Apostolic Network of Apostle, uh, went to heaven, that should affect you too. It should affect you. Somebody going through, that shouldn't be just like, uh, no, 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 hold, hold up. That should affect you. But then on the opposite side, it says when one member is honored, just say everybody gets honor. It didn't say that. Go back and read it. It says when one member is honored, all the members rejoice. So I'm supposed to see God put honor on something and then I'm supposed to stand there and be joyful with them. And I got to choose to either be joyful or be jealous. I can't be both. Whew, that wasn't in my notes, but you can take that one to the bank. I got to choose to be joyful or jealous and I can't be both. So I've just decided 
My friends ain't going to have to outgrow me and discard me to the side. I didn't say God can't use them and do stuff with them that I'm not it. I'm just saying you don't have to outgrow me because some people, you know, they cool with you when you down here. But when you start moving up to where they are, or if they, if they perceive you moving past them, oh, Lord. L-O-R-D, L-A-W-D. Oh, Lord. It gets ugly then. Then all of a sudden, then they start to say, you think you, and it's not even stuff that's in your mind, it's stuff that's in their mind. You understand what I'm saying? Okay, so we, now Now that may seem like a small act. It, looks, it didn't cost me nothing. I mean, you know, I didn't spend no money. You know, I didn't, but if you had listened to the men that were on the other, on the other side of the phone with me, it was clear that I had changed their life. Well, man, he said, he said, Pastor Dave, you always call me and just wreck my world. He's, he's like, it just like just when stuff was going on. And then he told me about, you know, something happening in his family. And this other guy said, well, you just think you. And I and he's like, I've known that dude 25 years. And here we just known each other a couple of years. And you've already just run past all of the, those other folks. Why am I telling you all this? Because I want us to be a I want us to be. A church known for encouragement. I want us to be people that it. Now, listen, y'all, I'm asking God. To do some amazing things. All right. Now, I also understand that that some people who I'm looking at will look at my situation and say, man, I wish I was like him. (laughs) I didn't really know that. My late bishop told me, he said, David, you know. I know you just looking at all these other things. He said, but listen, you know, there's a lot of pastors full time, which they could be bivocational like you are. He said, he said, quiet as it's kept. You living good and better than most. They would want what you got. I'm like, really? I didn't I didn't know that. I didn't know. But I'm still asking for God. But just because I'm asking for God to do something with me doesn't mean I can't acknowledge what he's doing with you. You got it? Okay. We want to be that kind of people. We want to be that kind of people. All right. Because that just that small act is removing darkness and bringing light. Just a small act. Somebody to come alongside and say, man, man, you know what? Even because I had to stop and I highlighted and see, you got to know how to praise. Man, God is really, man. They got off the phone, man. They was walking a little taller. I wasn't even with them, but I could tell. I could tell. I could tell. I could tell. And they say, you don't even know what it means. Okay, I want us. Now, this is just me making my assessment spiritually of the problems that our region face and me deciding to be part of the solution. That's what I'm asking each one of you to think. When We think about that's a regional issue because we have a, you know, this one is that one. If you're not with me, then God ain't with you and all of that stuff. And that stuff affects the church. It affects schools. It affects businesses. It affects families. Okay, I've just decided I'm going to help somebody. 
I've decided I'm going to be an encouragement. I'm going to strengthen somebody and it's not going to take anything from me. Okay. All right. Praise the Lord. Well, I didn't know that that was where that was going, but hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Okay. So let's talk about Nehemiah. I'm going to read some verses out of Nehemiah chapters one and two, and then we'll go on from there. Verses Nehemiah chapter one. Um, he was a great, Nehemiah was a great man, and I'll tell you some more, but let's just read enough verses to get the sense of what's going on, and then um, I have one list for you that I'll share with you. Nehemiah chapter 1, we're going to read verses 1 through 6, and then we'll skip down to verse 11. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah, it came to pass in the month of Chislev in the 20th year as I was in Shushan, the citadel, that Hanani, one of my brethren, came with the men from Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews who had escaped and who had survived the captivity and concerning Jerusalem. <coughs> and they said to me, the survivors who are left from the captivity in the province are there in great distress and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem is also broken down and the gates are burned with fire. So it was when I heard these words that I sat down and wept and mourned for many days. I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And I said, I pray, Lord God of heaven, O great and awesome God, you who keep your covenant and mercy with those who love you and observe your commandments, please let your ear be attentive and your eyes open that you may hear the prayer of your servant, which I pray before you now, day and night, for the children of Israel, your servants, and confess the sins of the children of Israel that we have sinned against you, both my father's house and I have sinned. Let's skip down to verse 11. Oh, Lord, I pray, please let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servants, servant and to the prayer of your servants, more than one plural, who desire to fear your name and let your servant prosper this day, I pray, and grant him mercy in the sight of this man, for I was the king's cupbearer. So he didn't say, as long as I got King Jesus, I don't need nobody else. He recognized that he needed some assistance with people to be successful in the God assignment that he was feeling the burden of. Amen. Now we're going to skip down to chapter two, verse four, just before we go there. So he went back after he prayed and you should read his prayer. It's a it's it's one of the most profound um, intercessory prayers for a region that the scripture has. He had a burden for his region and he put that burden into prayer and that burden became the beneficial ministry that came out on the other side. So that's a prayer you want to you want to take some time and understand. So I'm just picking out snippets of it, but you want to go back. And so then chapter two starts where he's serving the king and then the king sees the sadness on his face and he gets scared. Why? Because you was never supposed to be sad in the presence of the king. That, they could kill you for that. Right. Because the, the thought was that serving the king, they, they used to have jokers people that they used to have comedians right that would be the, the court jesters what they called it right 
because the, 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 the thought was that the weight of leadership was so heavy, right? Heavy is the head that wears the crown. That's the kind of significance of it, that, that they needed somebody to bring. And so that was so significant that you, you always smiled. You didn't bring um, sadness into the presence of the king. So when he asked, the scripture says that Nehemiah got afraid. Now look at, and then he said, then he said to him, hey, why shouldn't I have this kind of, um, of sadness when the, the city of my fathers, the city of my birth, my hometown, my, my peeps, my folks is in such destruction and decay. Now look at verse four, and I'm gonna read verses four through Verses four through, um, I guess I went all the way down, didn't I? Yeah, verses four through the rest of the chapter. Let's, let's start there. Then the king said to me, what do you request? So I prayed to the God of heaven. I said to the king, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, I ask that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's tombs, that I may rebuild it. Then the king said to me, the queen also sitting beside him, how long will your journey be and when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me and I set him a time. Furthermore, I said to the king, if it pleases the king, let letters be given to me for the governors of the region beyond the river that they must permit me to pass through, pass through till I come to Judah. He said, I need a travel visa. That's what that said, isn't it? I need a travel visa. And a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he must give me timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel, which pertains to the temple. He said, hey, I need a requisition. I need a requisition also given to me so that I can make requests from the king's treasury for the city wall and for the house that I will occupy. I also need you to build me like a White House. And the king granted them to me according to the good hand of my God upon me. Then I went to the governors in the region beyond the river and gave them the king's letters. Now the king had given me a military escort, had sent captains of the armies and horsemen with me. Verse 10 says, when Sambalat the Hornite and Tobiah the Ammonite heard of it, they were deeply disturbed that a man had come to seek the well-being of the children of Israel. Verse 11. So I came to Jerusalem and I was there three days. Then I rose in the night. I and a few men with me. I told no one what my God had put in my heart to do at Jerusalem, nor was there any animal with me except the one on which I rode. I went out by night through the valley gate to the serpent wall and to the refuse gate and viewed the walls of Jerusalem, which were broken down and its gates, which were burned with fire. Then I went on to the fountain gate and to the king's pool, but there was no room for the animal under me to pass. So I went up in the night by the valley and viewed the wall. Then I turned back and entered the valley gate and so returned. And the officials did not know where I had gone or what I had done. I had not yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, or the others who did the work. Verse 17, then I said to them, you see the distress that we are in, how Jerusalem lies 
waste and its gates are burned with fire. Come and let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer be a reproach. And I told them of the hand of my God, which was which had been good upon me and also of the king's words that he had spoken to me. So I said, so they said, let us rise up and build. Then they set their hands to this good work. But when Sanballat the Horonite, Tobiah the Ammonite official, and Geshem the Arab heard of it, they laughed at us and despised us and said, what is this thing you are doing? Will you rebel against the king? So I answered them and said to them, the God of heaven himself will prosper us. Therefore, we, his servants, will arise and build. But you have no heritage or right or memorial in Jerusalem. You have no heritage or right or memorial in Jerusalem. You know, Nehemiah is one of my favorite passages in the Bible because it demonstrates that the supernatural does not have to be spectacular to be effective. The supernatural does not have to be spectacular to be effective. We see Nehemiah in the book of Nehemiah. We see empowerment. We see endurance. We see favor. We see fortitude and we see finishing grace. From a historical perspective, Nehemiah was part of the Jewish diaspora, the dispersion of the Jewish nation that occurred when the children of Israel got into idolatry, went away from God and experienced the cursed part of their covenant with God. Because of God's favor on him in captivity, God raised him up to a place of leadership and influence and provided the possibility for him to be able to reach out and save his people from destruction. In that time, cities were walled fortresses. So it was a shame, disgrace and loss when your city was broken down without walls and gates. This was especially true for your capital city. In this case, Jerusalem, the city that housed the temple of God. The conditions of Jerusalem hold many parallels to the spiritual, social and economic conditions of our fair city as well. When Nehemiah inquired and found out the state of his capital city, he did not try to explain it away with sociological, psychological, economic or political forces. He is he acknowledged two biblical truths. The first was what Proverbs 26 and two says. Proverbs 26 and two says as a bird by wandering, as a swallow by flying, so by flying, so the curse causeless shall not come. If there is a curse, biblically, there must be a cause. And then. Proverbs 14, 34 says righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. All right. And so um, he acknowledged that these things were true. So he says, hey, there's there is a cause. Something has happened. We're not just in this. This didn't just happen to us. Something there are some spiritual reasons behind it. So what about us? How would we explain the conditions of our city, known 
in many circles as one of the worst cities to live in, one of the most violent cities to be in in, a, in, in this nation. Um, and crime is not the only statistic or the decline of economics. The economics, of course, in our city has been so bad that we've had a series of city managers because of the implosion that has of, of, of population that has caused a reduction of the tax base and of the decline of the economics that has happened over decades. All right. Um, we're also these financial emergencies has led to environmental disasters. The most recent being the water crisis that is still in some level of repair, but still classed a cloud of doubt over our city. We are what Isaiah might call the shadow in a shadow and region characterized by death. And I was going back through my notes on this and the Lord reminded me that death hasn't just been outside of the church. He reminded me of one of a sister churches that had a murder right in, in this, in this church building. Yeah. We, we're in a region that has a lot of difficulty and whatever your politics are, you have to acknowledge that our, the political sphere where we try to protest our way to prosperity has not been effective. Not saying that you shouldn't do it, you got the right to protest, but it hasn't produced everything that protests were thought to produce here. Like Nehemiah, we must acknowledge that in our heyday of Flint's prosperity, our focus on the God that gave us the power to get wealth was underwhelming. When we was rolling in money, we was rolling. And when we were rolling, people weren't rolling for God as tough as they should have been. All right. Further, there has been and still is major areas of disunity by race, class, gender, labor versus management, and even in Bible-believing churches, we still have division even amongst the church world. Our area is known for division. And Jesus has told us already that a house divided against itself cannot stand. Clearly, we need the kind of comeback that Nehemiah described, don't we? And so I have some some principles here that I want to share with you about regional deliverance from the, the book of Nehemiah. But who who can be our Nehemiah? Who what person has the skill, the organization, the empowerment necessary to lead such a comeback? Can it happen through this political sphere? Is there someone that will rise up in our social um, social organizations? Is it in the religious organization? Is it an educational organization? Well, um, Today is the day where the church celebrates Pentecost, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter two. That's fitting for our study today because the name Nehemiah means God comforts. Nehemiah means God. Jehovah is our comforter. So Nehemiah is a type and shadow of the Holy Spirit. In other words, we're going to need the power of the Holy Spirit to have the kind of turnaround in our city that we need. 
Nehemiah was the one who went to the king's palace and got the king's resources to be the governor. And that's the type of the Holy Spirit who is the one who is our comforter until Jesus returns. Amen. And so we really we need to, as a congregation, believe with the church world across our city for the Holy Spirit to cause all of us to band together and rise up with strength and power. No one small group is enough to turn around the things that we have in our region. Amen. All right. Seven principles of regional deliverance from Nehemiah one and two. Seven principles of regional deliverance. Number one, regional deliverance begins with the care, with care, concern, and compassion. Yeah, we saw that even, even um, in in Jesus' ministry when the light, when they stay that sat in darkness saw a great light. The scripture says that Jesus was moved with compassion when he saw the needs of the people, all right? And so Nehemiah inquired because he cared about the conditions of his city and they moved him to tears. They moved him to prayers. They moved him to mourning, all right? And so sometimes we can become so numb, you know, television and media has a way of numbing us to the reality of, of people's conditions. And so we have to be careful that we don't become so callous that God can't use us to demonstrate compassion. Right? You're not going to be raised up to be a deliverer for people that you don't care about. You're not going to be raised up to be a deliverer. Moses cared. And his even though he was in a palace removed from the place, he still cared about the, his brethren that were down there suffering. As slaves. OK, so you, that first principle is important. So if you don't have enough compassion, you need to spend some time in prayer and let God move on your heart. Now, compassion is not a feeling. It's a person. The love of God has been shed abroad in your heart by the Holy Spirit that has been given to you. OK, number two, regional deliverance is birthed through intercession. The king and his governor, the Holy Spirit, only come through royal invitation. My acrostic definition of prayer, I've told you, is petitioning royal access, yielding effective results. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. All right. So we need to band together. All right. We don't need to get lost on prayer initiatives. And the subject and totality of our prayer shouldn't be me. My son, Joe, his family, and no more. All right? So, so prayer is a big part of what you're going to do. 
And your prayer can't just be limited to just your folks. All right. So I need you to have some prayer time associated with the conditions of your city. Because regional deliverance gets birth out of intercession. Every move of God always had prayer that went before it. Go back and do your, your historical search. Somebody was praying somewhere. It is in answer to prayer that God moves. Number three, regional deliverance requires favor with both God and man. Nehemiah didn't sing the song as long as he had King Jesus. He didn't need nobody else. He said, God, I need favor with man. Okay. You need you need favor with people. All right. So, you know, some people, you know, I have to coach ministers like, listen, listen. Well, whatever they do, it just don't. No, no. Stop that. Now, listen, you still got to tell them the truth. And at that point, you can't care about how they feel when you telling them what you got to tell them. Because you can't be men pleasing when you should be God pleasing. But even when you're delivered from the people enough to tell them what God said, you still need to be concerned about how they receive it. All right. Because it it's not like I just dropped a load, you know, dropped a mic and walk off. I, I, you got to be careful because as, as a ministry leader, you have to carry people along. You have to lead them. You have to guide them. And it took you more than a few days to do what the Lord told you to do with your bad self. So you got to be careful. Took you more than a second to get your act together. All right, so so stop acting like you're dead. Nobody's buried. No, there's somebody's buried somewhere. And so you need to be compassionate and care about people. God has, see, I could do all of this, but God still has to give me favor with people or it doesn't work. Talking to some of the, the men that I mentor and lead and they were talking to me at work about um, uh, some of them are frustrated because they said if if this looked like this, things would be different for you, David. This is not what I'm saying. This is what people saying that see me and see how other people treat me. And. Um, And I tell them, listen, man, I can't let that stuff get in my head. I can't, I can't, I can't hang on to the haters. I have to go with the goers. I just know God's given me enough favor to do what he's called me to do. And I have to let the rest of that stuff wash off me. Because God didn't promise me favor with with everybody, but there is enough favor with the somebody that I need to really cause me to move forward. Okay. And so we have to be in faith and ask God for favor with the people that we need. Don't just leave it to chance. Ask the question. 
God, I need favor in this situation. God, will you favor me with this? Will you favor me with this person? And listen, they don't have to like everybody. To They don't even have to like you to favor you if you really want to know the truth. If, a, if man's ways please God, he'll make even his enemies be at peace with him. It'll get to be common knowledge. They just need to leave you alone. Number four, regional deliverance requires diligence to plan and boldness to secure needed resources. Some Christians believe we should just try something and hope it works. Y'all pray for me as I attempt to sing. I'm like, sit your happy self down. All right, practice. Ain't nothing wrong. Listen, listen, I'm not saying you don't, but you know, you need to put the work in. Nehemiah didn't just come up with something. He actually had a plan. We know he had a plan because the king asked him on the spot. And he listed all of the stuff he would need to get it done. Sometimes you have to listen to me. Don't wait till you get the call to plan. I'm trying to teach people how to walk by faith and walk in wisdom. What happens is people get the call and then they go to scrambling. He had already put his plan together. So when the king asked the question, all he had to do was, king, I need this and I need this and I need this and I need this and I need that. He already knew what he needed because he had put a plan together. Right. Don't wait. Even when you don't know how it's going to happen. Like, remember the women who shall move the, the stone from us? They were still on their way to the tomb. They didn't understand how it would all work out, but they at least had a plan. Right. They at least had they had they had their ointments with them. Okay, I need this. I need this. I don't know how that's going to work out. I'm going to trust God on that one, but I'm going to still make whatever movement I can. All right. And so please, please, please don't wait. Proverbs 21 and five says it this way. The plans of the diligent lead to plenty. But everyone but those of everyone who is hasty, surely to poverty. All right. So if you got if you will plan your work, then at some point I will help you work your plan. All right. Take time to think it through, man. I'm, I'm going through all kinds of scenarios right now. And, and when you're in the planning phase, you don't even know which one going to work. So you got to try a bunch of them, put a bunch of stuff out there. And God, I need this. I believe I need this. I, don't, I mean, I don't know, man, but I'm, I'm all kinds of plans. That's not don't let waiting time be wasting time. When you don't know the answer yet, get a good plan together. All right. Number five. Uh, Minister John says something similar to this in his teachings from from uh, David. Regional deliver regional deliverance raises regional opposition. Somebody always benefits from the status quo. Always. There's always somebody for whom it is in their best interest for things to stay like they are. Somebody always benefits from poverty. 
There's always some rich person doing doing a study on poor somebody's. But studying what makes poor people poor won't make poor people rich. <laughs> somebody's always benefiting. You know, people got rich during the Depression. Somebody always finds a way benefit. Follow the money, honey. There's always a money trail. There's always a money trail in the middle of everything going on. Now, see this. <laughs> all right. Do you remember when they was all hating on President Obama and how many times he went golfing? You remember the tweets that came from our current president about the latest latter president? Now, this one has turned his summer home into his White House, Florida location. One White House, two locations. And then, and now, the Secret Service and all of them have to come down to his thing. So he's pocketing all of that money and it's running right through his. Always follow the money. Somebody always benefits. Now, if you, hey, that's not a political statement. That's a statement of truth. You do the homework. Always follow the money. So you got to know that when you come to do something different, there will always be natural, spiritual, social, financial, and financial opposition. Expect it. Identify it and reject it. Look for it. Don't think you're going, I thought I was doing something for God. Why do I got all this opposition? Because you're doing something for God. <laughs> I thought everybody would be happy. You thought wrong. Somebody's not going to be happy that you've decided to do something. There were people that were upset that somebody had come to seek the welfare of the children of Israel. All right, that was number five. Number six, regional deliverance requires personal involvement and engagement. Those involved must reach beyond their relative comfort and safety and care about those who are hurting. Nehemiah was in a capital city in a palace inside of a fortress. That's what a citadel is. So he was very comfortable. He was very comfortable. Where he was, everything was cool. He was chilling. You understand that term? I know that made them. Okay. All right. Chillaxing, is that what you said? He was fine. He was fine where he was. But to really make a difference, he had to get out of his ivory tower and get his hands dirty. He had to go where the rubble was. He had to go be amongst the people that were struggling and suffering. All right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think about this every time I drive into church on Sunday. I'm cool where I'm living, but God has given me an assignment. And I can't just be comfortable where I am when he's given me an assignment. You have to know that if you're going to make an impact, you're going to have to get personally involved. All right. 
Finally, finally, number seven, regional deliverance requires significant destiny partnership. Significant destiny partnership. Nehemiah put a plan together that before he talked to the people, he already had the plan. He did one level of planning when he was still in the palace. We know he did a level of he did a level, a level of praying and planning. Right. We talked about that in our goal setting process that you had to both pray and plan. He prayed. But when God began to answer his prayer, the plan begins to emerge. But that planning was done in the remote isolation of the palace when he got boots on the ground. He had to make sure that he validated that the plan that he did in the palace would still work when he was in the rubble. Right. Had to make sure that what he did in the palace when he got down to the pit, it still it was still effective. So he had to go look and check it out. So he went in cover of night. Sometimes you don't give your plan too soon, even to your partners. But he spent some time getting down there. Looking at it, checking it, making the notes. I, I think that would work here. Okay, I got enough resource for this. I got enough resource for that. Okay, yep. Yeah, mm -hmm, I think I need to do this. You know, I have a plan. I got resources, but I need to station people here. I got to put one family there. I got to put another family there. He went all the way around. He surveyed it all. And then he made his pitch. Nehemiah had to identify destiny partners who would participate in the plan for turnaround. No one person, or in our case, no one church or group of people can do it all. We must all make ourselves available to God and to each other to raise up the light of empowerment that brings transformation to our city and our region. Come on, let's stand. Did this bless you?